The Inversions, Part 5, Heaven Over Earth. Finally, we come to the last words of the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With these words comes an inversion that tips over ye old pagan worldview and also the modern secular worldview. The order here is important. Ordering often has great importance in the Bible, especially once we get to the days of creation and the commandments. Creation is an act of ordering, and we have a bad habit of disordering that creation. But I won't get ahead of my inversions. Let's first look to the heavens. Notice that the word heavens is first. Earth is mentioned second. Consider how strange it sounds to reverse the order. I'm going to read this aloud, and so should you. In the beginning, God created the earth and the heavens. That's opposed to the heavens and the earth. Just saying it that way feels strange. And I have a bad taste in my mouth now just saying it. Uh, the other creation stories are like drinking orange juice after brushing your teeth. But Genesis asserts the reverse. The Bible drinks the orange juice at breakfast before brushing with toothpaste. This is the proper order. This may appear inconsequential, but like all the inversions, it matters far beyond mere words in a book because the right posture of humility before God requires it. In many creation stories, earth comes first. Genesis shoots down that idea like a clay pigeon in the opening line. In the Greek myths, chaos and the abyss are the first things. But then the Greeks go even farther in their wager. Earth, or Gaia, pops into existence before the sky god, Uranus. In other words, Earth creates itself. Only after Earth is born do the heavens arrive. And this is incorrect. Heaven is God's first and essential act of creation as opposed to the second creation of the visible world. God is first. Heaven is created first. Another way of saying this is, heaven is over and above and before earth. In some translations, the word heaven is singular, but in most it's plural. And we'll get to this plural singular question in the very next inversion. But plural or singular, one thing is always true. Heaven comes before earth. Heaven was created before earth by God, who existed before both. This is intentional, and just as there are no accidents in Hollywood, there are no accidents in Genesis. Genesis, in one single opening sentence, has set the entire Bible in opposition to nearly every religious system that surrounds the people of Moses. A great deal of order can be derived from this first sentence of the Bible. This single line may pick a fight across the entire world, but that is not the intention. To argue with the ancient world is not the point. To refute our modern ideas is also not the aim. The aim of these words is to speak the truth aloud, despite the consequences. Once again, the purpose of scripture is not to set the world right side up, but to set our eyes right side up so that we can see reality properly. Everything is as God made it, only we are upside down or sideways most of the time. The ancient myths and the secular world today are trying to sell you a bad pair of glasses while holding you upside down. They are offering orange juice after you have already brushed your teeth. Before Genesis was written, all the differing ideas about our origin story had already been told. 
widely different origin stories existed then and today because we can arrive at different conclusions. Nothing is new under the sun. The sacred writer of Genesis was not the first person to think of God created the heavens and the earth, but the writer was the first one inspired by God to record it for the purpose of setting the truth in a form that could be passed on by scribbling and not solely by voice or oral tradition. All ideas that we think are new are actually old. The ideas of things like wokeism today, which is really just repackaged sophistry and Gnosticism, or yesterday's liberalism, have been around since the fall. All the new French, English, and German philosophy from the Reformation and the Enlightenment are about as original as warmed-up leftover pizza in the refrigerator. The ancient world wrote down these ideas for the first time, but prior to writing, these ideas all existed. Modern academia dresses up old ideas using far more words, but it's really just putting an ornate silk hat on a pig. Philosophy was once something that laymen could discuss, but a large vocabulary of esoteric language has made it an elite endeavor. However, the joke is kind of on academia now, because by making their language a kind of inside baseball for the privileged few, they've made it irrelevant. Hardly surprising, then, that the consumerist culture has drawn people away from seeking wisdom. The mass of people without advanced degrees are not allowed entry in the private clubs without the password of vocabulary. The expert class has become like a new form of the Levites. Our priest class of today wears lab coats, hangs multiple diplomas on their walls, and adds lengthy initials after their names. No idea is original at this point. Ideas are just reintroduced, shined up like a dusty apple for the current generation to eat. Usually in the reintroduction, the ideas are only made more confusing. Truly, before humans began writing, every idea of modern philosophy had already been told and tried. Every upside-down worldview has had its day, and the reason they never stick and stay is because it's hard to pretend the upside-down is the right way to be. The various schools of philosophy and religions we know from written texts existed prior to written text. There were Stoics before the Stoics of Rome, and Pythagoreans long before Pythagoras, and Hedonists well before Epicurus. There are just no records from preliterate peoples, but we don't need records to know this. Spend enough time in any city or small town, and you will discover that there are Stoics and Pythagoreans and Hedonists who have never heard of such words. What you believe is how you live. Your actions are your religion, not your words. So even if you attend Mass every week and declare that heaven is over earth, what you do between Sundays shows God whether you actually believe that heaven is over earth. What's different about Genesis is that it is a book that lasts because it is the written word of God, which is to say, it is the truth. And that is why people who have followed the wrong path return to the path of sacred scripture. And this is the same reason why mathematical formulas stick around. The reason why Pythagoras's theorem lasts is because it's correct. The theorem cannot be any other way. It is simple, beautiful, and true, and it can be applied to the real world. 
basic math is a terrific illustration of spiritual truths because basic math doesn't lie, despite what some people will tell you today. Let's consider the Pythagorean theorem, which describes a triangle's sides, in particular the longest side of the triangle, the hypotenuse. Now, the Pythagorean theorem upsets no one because it's so easy to show that it's true, even with a simple diagram using squares on the sides of the triangle. If you see the picture with this post, you'll see a triangle with three sides and squares that are proving the Pythagorean theorem. You cannot argue with Pythagoras about this. Um, you cannot write the theorem in another order, or it breaks. The order is critical, where the longest side, we'll call it C, is the longest side of the triangle. Now in the image, if you can see it, we have a squared plus b squared equals c squared, which everyone learns in 7th or 8th grade in school. The c side must be at the end of the equation as it's drawn. It's the longest side of the triangle. Now, you could not rearrange this so that it would be different, or you'd produce a, an incorrect result. Anyone building a house or measuring distances would make a mess using this theorem incorrectly. If you tried to say a squared plus c squared equals b squared using the same triangle from the image, it wouldn't work. You cannot disorder the sides and get the correct triangle. For instance, if the short sides of the triangle are 3 and 4 inches long, the longest side of the triangle must be 5 inches long. It cannot be any other way. So if you try to make that equation uh, in a different model, it creates an absurdity. It fails in both the mind and in the real world. When I was learning to write code in C++ in college, my favorite error message was the dramatic-sounding segmentation fault core dumped. Now this would happen when a program I had written, poorly, attempted to access a memory address that didn't exist. The code I had written in the text editor was a representation of what I thought would work in practice. In other words, it was an idea, not a physical reality. But once that's executed, the code came to life and quickly died because what I had concocted on the screen was incorrect. A flaw in the design caused a devastating error that dumped the process. There were other errors that came from impossible attempts made in my code, like dividing by zero. But a segmentation fault broke the program in an abrupt fashion and it's kind of like when mechanics say that an engine has thrown a rod. So to throw a rod or hit a segmentation fault is to have violated certain truths of math and physics. The incorrect equation for a triangle is a violation of the truths of mathematics. And if used in the real world, it would, quote, throw a rod or hit a, quote, segmentation fault core dumped error. In essence, the opening line of Genesis like the Pythagorean theorem, declares spiritual truth in the same way. Pythagoras is declaring a mathematical objective truth with his formula, and Genesis declares a spiritual objective truth. If you change the order of God created the heavens and the earth, you end up with a segmentation fault or a thrown rod as well. At the very least, you move toward a misshapen worldview, just as an error in the theorem creates a misshaped triangle. It does not match reality. Likewise, you cannot square a circle, nor circle a square. 
That is even impossible for God. And you may protest, but all things are possible with God. And that's true, except for untruth. God is the sheer act of being itself, and God is truth. Like the Pythagorean theorem, God is also simple, good, and beautiful. So a circle cannot be squared. Invalid memory addresses cannot be accessed. A brittle piston rod in an engine cannot withstand pressures. A triangle cannot have a shape that misfits the proper formula, and earth cannot come before heaven. Pythagoras found one of God's great tricks of geometry, and surely he was not the first, because they've found it written down in ancient Babylonian texts as well, but he was the first to be famous for it, despite it actually being a truth from God, not Pythagoras or from the Babylonians. He was the first to be widely read, like the sacred author of Genesis, but the truth of heavens over earth was known before the age of writing arrived. Numbers, and not the book of numbers, but the numbers used in arithmetic, provide a wonderful method of thinking about God and immaterial things like heaven. Numbers are not things I can pick up and move from my kitchen to my bedroom. I can pick up two cats, but I can't pick up the number two. We can contemplate the idea of heavens by using numbers because they are invisible, unseen things, but we know they are very real. These odd things called numbers have no bodies, but have real applications and effects in our material world, where we do have bodies. We cannot use the wrong equation and immaterial numbers and then apply it to the real world because a material triangle will not comply with an incorrect representation of the triangle. In other words, objectively wrong ideas are not a thing, they are nothing. And let me try to explain an example here. If an architect of the Flatiron Building in New York City had drawn a blueprint but put the wrong dimensions on each side of his triangle building, the construction company could not have poured the footings to match the dimensions on the drawing. The physical world cannot fit with imagined falsehoods. This is why objective truth matters both in math and in spiritual physics. As long as people have lived, however, we have resisted ideas of objective truth. This is why Socrates and Jesus were both put to death, for not playing along with the imaginary truths of the sophists, for not playing along with the subjective truth of Pilate and Caiaphas. To speak of objective truths in a world that resists them is to invite anger, If you fully adhere to objective truth, you will be hated. One thing is for sure. It is not the British who first had a stiff upper lip. It was surely Abraham and his descendants, particularly Moses and his court, for writing these truths down in Genesis. Because to record and speak these things invited anger, just as it does today. This inversion may not seem relevant today, of heaven before earth, but like Pythagoras' theorem, The order of the heavens and earth is as relevant now as it was in Canaan or Greece. Moreover, if you scratch the fresh paint of modern sacred things with your fingernail, you can find the old paint job of Gaia's primacy is just beneath the surface. But earth before heavens is just the wrong formula and does not work. Earth first, quote, earth first, has returned for many people. During the Renaissance in Europe, and through the Enlightenment, the chattering classes got high on an old philosophy that tossed out God. 
and many held that the heavens do not exist at all. Classical antiquity became all the rage for some, and Gaia, or Earth, made a comeback. This was most obvious in what we built in our cities, because when the West believed in heaven first, the biggest building projects were cathedrals glorifying God. And when we switched to the Earth first disorder, we began building skyscrapers, government buildings that looked like cathedrals, and stadiums for sports. St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York was the last big project for God in America, which now sits under the shadow of so many towers, like the Empire State Building and the World Trade Center, the UN Building, Madison Square Garden, and Yankee Stadium. The big projects are not for God, they are for earthly things. However, it wasn't just the builders who shifted to Earth first. Truly, the intellectual class has relentlessly tried to invert Genesis and either cancel the idea of heaven altogether or tell us that we need not worry about this unseen realm. We are about 500 years into this process now. We have mostly forgotten about heaven because we live as if it does not exist. Yet at funerals, we declare that every deceased person's soul is there. We are godless in how we live, acting as if heaven is not a concern, but then suddenly universalists at funerals, where God is just a version of Oprah Winfrey, where everyone gets a new car just for showing up. Yet the upheaval of modernity's blessings of all sins is revealed to people which side of the chasm they want to be on when the collapse comes or when the end of their life comes. As this chasm widens between right and wrong, truth and untruth, Jesus and Pontius Pilate, people are reacting and changing sides while they still can. To be on the side of the Pythagorean theorem is to be on the side of heaven first. Some feel that a heaven first view is finally coming back. But if that's true, it's happening very slowly. But then there are wonderful wild conversion events like with Our Lady of Guadalupe, where the efforts of missionaries and evangelists hardly moved the needle for years, and then God re-entered our lives with a lovely picture of Mary presented by a peasant like St. Juan Diego, and suddenly millions once again recognize that the heaven-first viewpoint is the truth. That could very easily happen again. We are seeing the result today of a world that has rejected the spiritual mathematical formula of God created the heavens and the earth. Like the example of the architect drawing the flat iron building triangle with invalid dimensions, a world built on bad math and untruth becomes visible. To use biblical terms, it bears bad fruit. We all know what bad fruit looks and tastes like. The error of earth, the error of earth first is becoming more plain by the day. Look no further than the transgender craze to see modern sophistry at work. Yet even this craze is not new, but has a history in the ancient cult of Sybil. If someone cries out, the cult of Sybil was absurd, that will not bring a mob to his house today. But for those who speak out against the mutil mutilation fad of middle schoolers, invites active, living hatred today. But as an advocate of both heaven first and the Pythagorean theorem, it's impossible for me not to speak or write about both because I think Sybil's followers were wrong, just as I disagree with the living modern version of Sybil's cult that mutilates children. Like Jeremiah the prophet, I would like to stay silent and avoid the burning hatred of the world, 
but I really cannot do that because to speak untruth feels dirty. It's like drinking orange juice after toothpaste every day instead of the other way around. It's gross. Most of all, to speak untruth means I have abandoned God. And I would rather abandon the Pythagorean theorem than God, but I can't abandon the theorem either because it came from God. This causes a problem for believers in both the integers and in God. Jeremiah, under persecution, really wanted to stop talking about the truth of God to save himself some pain. But the burden of objective truth was too much, and he had to speak or he would, I I don't know, I think he would have exploded. He declares that he would like to stop talking about the truth of God to avoid the ridicule of others and save himself the headaches, but the fire burns with him to speak, to say it. He says, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, Then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah just can't hold it in. He's got to say it. And I can relate, although I am more cowardly than Jeremiah, today to argue against the media and professors, both of whom insist on a materialistic worldview, is to be a modern prophet. To be a prophet is not to predict the future, it's just to declare truth like the Pythagorean theorem, and God creating heaven before earth. Oddly enough, many atheists now sound like Jeremiah because they understand the implications of mathematics and objective truth. This has been a fascinating turn of events, and I marvel as it unfolds, because there are atheists like James Lindsay and Jordan Peterson who sound like devout Catholics. This is why I do appreciate atheists. God bless them. They cut away all the fluff that stands between the two options of one, God most high, or two, nothing. They don't like all the middle fluff, all the uh, salesmanship between there is a one God or there is nothing. I feel that if most atheists properly understood the formula called creation ex nihilo, which we covered already in a prior inversion, they would be suddenly reattached to the tree of life and chugging God's grace like a bong at a college party. Anyway, I pray they are all at the next Easter Easter vigil service where they can join their terrific sense of reason to a newfound faith that makes them whole. The prophets are not that strange after all, because they speak truth. The prophets arise at times of disorder because, like Jeremiah, it's impossible not to speak of the order of God's creation. And these prophets are not the crazy ones, but the last remaining sane ones. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, must speak, despite wanting to hide like Jeremiah. Jonah doesn't want to, but he does. And why is that? Because he can't avoid the truth. The prophets are just like Socrates and Jesus, who are the most sane people in all of history. And both Socrates and Jesus were very much heaven first in their theology. Plato's book Timaeus has a Socrates that sounds an awful lot like Genesis 1, verse 1. This is sanity. Reading the tales of mythology is wonderful entertainment, but nothing to take seriously. They are like Marvel movies, fun to watch, but unbelievable, and not aligned with reality. The reason Jeremiah may seem crazy is that he is speaking objective spiritual truth to a world of sophists, to a world that worships the wrong order like in the book of Judges that repeats the ominous line throughout. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
Now, in an age of unbelief like ours, it seems natural that people would be more concerned about the material world than the immaterial heaven. But this is only due to people not thinking deeply about their first principles. And they just don't know which way is up. But I'll give you a hint. Heaven is up. People are flipped over because the advertisements and the marketing spin them around. They are merely thinking about what they desire and calling it good. In other words, they have rejected God to do what is right in their own eyes, as the book of Judges says over and over. The naturalistic worldview, where God is not alive nor involved, seeks all its answers in the chemical and biological and the feelings, not in the spiritual. Yet not only the materialists do this, so do many lukewarm spiritual people. I do this, um, where the desires of the flesh are projected onto God. Merely declaring heaven first does not cure this error, but it is the first step on the path to wellness and sanity and seeing the world right side up. Many people today complain about the politics of America first, while in the next breath they preach sermons of earth first. But I'm a keeper of the old code, of heaven first. And this is probably why my social life is limited. I reject both America first and earth first. And I definitely reject self first, which is the most sacred belief of our age. The heaven first view isn't a popular worldview today. But I grew up in the late 1980s and early 1990s listening to hundreds of hours of Nirvana's Nevermind album, which ingrained in me an ironclad belief that popularity is for sellouts. The ancient religions are never far away. They don't actually die. In fact, ancient people didn't even know what the word religion meant because the word was invented only a few hundred years ago. Religion is not where you go on Sunday for one hour. It's how you live every day. It's not just a bolt-on product or opinion or something done entirely in private. We don't really know what religion is today because we've tried to cordon it off like a coat room. And while we point at religion in the coat room, we are actually living our true religion and calling it something else. Thus, with the myriad lifestyles and behaviors today, rest assured that everything from the Bronze Age is still here. But those ways and views have just taken on new names. And while we may chuckle at stories about Gaia from the ancients, we do not chuckle about the chilling tales and dogmatic belief systems of climate change as handed down from those in lab coats and preached by scribes of the laptop class. To challenge any assumptions about carbon credits, which are really a parallel of what Protestant thinks, Protestants think indulgences are in the Catholic Church, or to challenge anything about sustainable planning, or to challenge ideas about technology solving everything, is to invite a mob upon you. Attack the sacred things and you will be attacked. And why is that? Because the sacred things go back to the order of creation. Who created what, when, and why? Thus, if you subscribe to Earth first, then you have a shield against spiritual things. Worse, you have an elevated sense of importance, also known as pride, as opposed to humility, and we'll get to that nefarious inversion later. Earth first is alive and well. Books about Gaia have been all over the place in the past decade. Mother Earth is worshipped by millions, and while our Earth is very good, it was not first. 
Genesis, in its boldness, says heaven first. However, this does not mean earth is not important. All of creation is important, as the whole is greater than the parts. And this is true in geometry, in our bodies, in families, in marriages, community, communities, and God's whole creation. But there is an order of precedence of how God created everything. And if you err in this inversion, more errors will follow. This is why I'm writing this series on inversions, because the errors accumulate where one wrong turn leads to another. The Catholic cosmology is not arbitrary or strange. It is just not understood or discussed because of the many layers of distractions that clutter our minds due to centuries now of misinformation about what the Church actually teaches and what the truth really is. Moving on, we'll look at the second inversion that comes with the words the heavens and the earth, which is related to why is the word heavens plural? <laughs> 